Well, I hope you didn't come to hear a report about my uh, wanderings to the other side of the planet because um, I'm not going to do that. Um, they, it was profitable. It was meaningful. Um, and, um, but I'm so glad to be behind this podium. Um, I, I, you know, I've referred to this numerous times in here from the, from the very first time I heard it. Um, when R.C. Sproul uh, was at that conference, you know, and, and he was asked the question and, and he says to his audience, what's the matter with you people? Remember that? You know, I've said that a half a dozen times. Well, they have made a mug out of it. <laughs> what's the matter with you people? <laughs> and so now I am in possession of the mug that, with my famous quote from R.C. on it. That's really funny. Apparently, I'm not the only one that was... <laughs> <laughs> stunned by him looking at his audience and saying, what's the matter with you people? Anyway, so that's kind of funny. <laughs> at least me thinks. Let's return to our study of the life of Moses. Uh, to do that, you'll need to turn back to um, Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to read you those first six verses again. So you follow as I'll read them. Uh, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. <clears throat> um, speaking of R.C. Sproul, um, R.C. tells a story about um, speaking at a conference. And um, at the end of the conference, a, a woman came up to him and she was very perturbed. And, uh, you know, I have people come up uh, to me like that, too, but they're normally uh, perturbed at me, um, uh, not at, anyway, turns out, uh, and this lady was really angry, and, and, um, and R.C. said, well, what are you so angry about? And um, she said, I'm angry at my pastor. Um, and he said, well, why are you angry at your pastor? And uh, she said, it seems to me that he does everything within his power to conceal from us the true nature of God. To conceal the true nature of God. Now, what's behind that? Um, I, I really can't say for sure. Uh, I guess the worst case scenario would be uh, that occupying her home church pulpit is a um someone related to the father of lies who loves to do all that he can to prevent people from seeing god as um as who he is and what he's like i guess that's the worst case i guess the best case scenario is that uh, her pastor believes that God would be more appealing to a non-Christian audience or to a non-Christian 
if he were modified just a bit. You know, if we could just, you know, add a smile to him or, you know, ask him to lighten up a little bit. Um, when in fact, ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, the great hope of mankind is the God that's described right here in Exodus chapter 3. <laughs> um, he's described like this all over the Bible. And I have no permission, nor do you, nor does anybody else, nor does her pastor, to alter what I find here and how he is described here. You've heard me say this a dozen times, but I, I don't care what the God of the philosopher thinks about me. I don't care what the God of the Buddhist thinks about me or the God of the Hindu. Uh, but I'm very concerned about what this God thinks about me because this is the only God that exists. Um, now, when in fact one does take liberties with the scriptures to alter them and to alter the true nature of God, I want to show you what happens when, um, when we take those liberties. And if you've got a Bible with you tonight, uh, if you could find Psalm 78, uh, that'd be grand. Uh, Psalm 78 is in the Psalms, and the Psalms is in the middle. So that's pretty easy to find. So just when you get in the middle, look for number 78. Um, I, you probably didn't already knew this, but Psalm 78 is the longest Psalm in the Bible next to Psalm 119. This is a long psalm, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to read a portion of it. Um, um, well, I'm going to read the first six verses or so. Um, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from, mo- from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Now, here we go. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. And he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget his works. Guys, I draw your attention to this. Do you notice that that God has appointed a testimony? He has, um, he's established a law for Israel. And what was the purpose of that law? What was the purpose of that testimony? The the parents were supposed to teach it to their children. We're not going to hide it from future generations. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to do that. We want future generations to hear of it. We want to tell our children everything about that testimony that he left behind and, and everything about that law. So that They should set their hope in God. So, that's the opening foray of Psalm 78. What you read for the next three or four pages 
is the result of not having done that. And how Israel absolutely collapsed. Um, you see, folks, when you start tampering with um, what God has said and what he's like and what he's, how he's described in this book, things begin to fly apart. Um, you know what, you know what, in, you know what integration is to integrate is to, well, what happens when you don't teach this law and testimony, things disintegrate. They, they fly apart. They, uh, they spin out of control. There's no moral compass. Um, because, because God opposes you. I, I left behind a testimony in the law that you're supposed to teach your children. Nothing else, just what I left behind. And you decided you knew better. So when you decided you know better than what I left behind for you to teach, and you start modifying who God is or concealing what he's like or uh, you know, put a smile or a grin or a nice bumper sticker, then I oppose you. And if you read the rest of Psalm 78, you'll see just vignette after vignette after vignette after vignette of God opposing Israel. This story and this story and this happened and that happened and this happened. Why? Because that testimony, that law that God left behind to be taught to our generations has been ignored. I would say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that's partial, that's partial, that's a part of the explanation of what's happening all around us in our culture today. I don't know that anybody's got, the Republicans don't have any solutions, but they got more than the Democrats. Democrats don't have any solutions either. Nobody's got any solutions. Um, because this testimony, this law has not been taught. Now, gang, I, I, I'm starting out that way, and I'm saying all that just to remind you of those two themes that I taught right before I left to go to India. I, I think the dates were January the 22nd and January the 29th. On the 22nd, out of is Exodus 3, I taught the holiness of God. And then um, I came back the next week and I taught you the fear of God, uh, which is what you see happening to Moses. Uh, you know, after this ground is holy and, and Moses wouldn't lift up his eyes because he was afraid. Um, both of those things, folks, both of those themes grow out of Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Um, However, as we move away from this, we're faced with another theme, a big theme. Um, we, uh, we return tonight to Exodus 3, only to be faced with another huge theme. But it's really over in verse 14, kind of, sort of. I'll explain that in a minute. Um, this whole name of God thing. Um, but I would submit to you that that theme starts not in verse 14, but in verse 2. And I'll show you that in just a second. But, but before we get there, let me acknowledge that, that I know that so many of you have been in studies, 
around the city and in your own little Bible studies, you've been in these studies on the, on the names of God. There are several good books that are out uh, in print that are just entitled The Names of God. You know, El Shaddai and El Elyon and El Sadek and all, all those names. And so studies are made of, of, of the names of God. Um, and, and those courses are wonderful and they, they have a wonderful place and then they serve, I think they serve as well. But most of those studies on the names of God are primarily designed to deal with the names of the first person of the Trinity, the Father. But in verse 2, <laughs> we find another name. And it is a name of the second person of the Trinity. And that name is, verse 2, the angel of the Lord. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. Just that, and, and then we'll, we'll develop the rest of the, this paragraph next week, Lord willing. But I wanted to start with this, the angel of the Lord. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, to, to study this chapter and to skip that is just criminal. Um, because there's so much that, need, that you need to understand about that name, the angel of the Lord. Now, I want you to know um, that I have resisted the temptation um, to launch another excursus, you know, um, leaving the mainstream of the text and to chase down one of the tributaries, and that being the names of God. And, and, and the reason that I'm not going to do something on the names of God is because I think so many of you have had courses, and I think you've already profited thereby. So I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> um, but this verse 2 name, I think for many people, is uncharted water. I don't think you're really familiar. Maybe you are. I don't mean to insult you. Um, but I don't know that you're, that you're as familiar with what's behind this angel of the Lord. So that's what we're going to deal with tonight. <clears throat> Just that. The angel of the Lord. A name. A name of God. <laughs> but let's track it down some. Let me show you. It first appears in, in Genesis 16. And you really need to turn over there and look. <clears throat> Genesis 16. Great story in Genesis 16. This is the story where, you know, uh, uh, Sarah comes up with this great idea because uh, she can't have babies. And so she says, why don't you take Hagar? And so uh, Hagar moves in with uh, Abraham and she gets pregnant. And, and then uh, she begins to, you know, taunt uh, Sarah. And Sarah is really mad. And, and she goes to Abraham. And Abraham, being the man that he is, says, um, uh, just do with her as you see fit. So she runs her out of town. You know, she says, get lost. So um, Hagar has to leave. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, uh, Sarah and Abraham have run her off. We come to, well, let me just, um, verse nine, the angel of the Lord said to her, now there it is, oh, actually it's in verse seven. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. Now, gang, there it is. The angel of the Lord, verse seven, verse nine. Verse 10, verse 11. 
Same title that you found in Exodus 3, 2. All right, now who is that? Who is this angel of the Lord? Well, one of the ways that we're going to find out who he is is by listening to what he says. Now, notice what he says to her. Um, um, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, now listen to this. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for, uh, for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant, yada, 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 yada. Folks, who talks like that? Who can promise things like these? But then the crowning blow, I think, is really found in verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. Now, gang, back in your courses that you took on the names of God, one of the names that you studied, I hope, was, was the name El Roe. Um, I, I hope you got this one. Um, El Roe. That's an E. Um, yeah. Um, that's one of the names of God in your, in your, in your, in all the books. That's the name of God, the God of seeing, the God who sees. It is Hagar that gives that name to whom? The angel of the Lord. So to say that this is to be applied to the first person of the Trinity is really a mishandling of the text. Because whoever it is, whoever this is, is pointing to the angel of the Lord, whoever he is. But tell me, as you listen to the angel of the Lord speak from the text, who do you think that was? Who'd that strike you as being? Gideon? <laughs> um, Isaiah? And, and um, who talks like this? Doesn't that sound like deity that's talking? The angel of the Lord who's given this name? Okay, guys, we, we have only just begun. <laughs> um, go to... Um, Go to chapter 19, and let me show you the difference. This is the story about Sodom being destroyed, and you remember Lot's wife looks back and turns into a pillar of salt and all that business? But, you know, they have to drag him out of there because they didn't want to go because they really liked Lot. I mean, they really liked Sodom. Um, but look at Genesis 19, verse 13. <clears throat> um, uh, For the men said to Lot, 12, have you anyone else here, sons and laws, daughters, or anyone else in the city? For we are about to destroy the place because the outcry against his people has come, become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Do you see the difference in that angel? They are very clearly sent 
uh, on a mission as representatives of the Lord who gave them a task. That is not how the angel of the Lord spoke in, in Genesis 16. Uh, the, the angel of the Lord in Genesis 16 spoke like he's one who not only knew the future, <laughs> but wrote it, <coughs> dominated it. These angels are just angels with a little a. Um, like Gabriel and Michael. But they're not the angel of the Lord. Now, gang, um, keep going. Uh, go to Genesis 22. Oh, you know that story. That's the story when God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your beloved son, Isaac, I want you to take him and uh, sacrifice him on a mountain that I'll tell you about. Remember that? So, you know, Abraham gets up and takes Isaac and he, he doesn't have to... Um, ultimately slay him but but look with me at verse 11 but the angel of the lord uh-oh there he's back the angel of the lord is back and uh, the angel of the lord called to him from heaven and said abraham abraham and he said and he said do not lay your hand on on the boy or do anything for him to him for i know that you fear god now folks again who talks like this who, who's, who's up in heaven and saying, um, um, read down with uh, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. And look, declares the Lord. <laughs> Doesn't that pretty much settle the issue? The angel of the Lord is the Lord. Or at least I can say that the angel of the Lord is deity. Um, and, and, and one other thing, just, just notice, notice how Abraham evaluates everything that's going on in his life in verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Guys, um, you remember, I've done this so many times, I don't want to waste your time to doing it again. I always take you to Psalm 110, and we find the word Lord there in Psalm 110.1, but we also find that in Psalm 110.1, Lord, Lord. But whenever you find the word Lord in all caps like that, it is translating the Hebrew tetragrammaton, Yahweh. Look at it, look at this. Look at verse 14. The Lord, look at it. All caps. Uh, uh, on this day, the man of the Lord, it shall be provided. Uh, I don't know why we're confused, but it doesn't appear that Abraham was. That the angel of the Lord that spoke to him, in his mind, was deity. Um, gang, we got to hurry. Go over to uh, Genesis 31. Genesis, this is a story about Jacob. And you know um, uh, how God gave Jacob all the flocks by um, the stripes and the spotted ones and all. You remember that story? Well, anyway, we, we can't, don't have time to go to that story. But, um, 
Verse 10, Genesis 31, 10. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that made it with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God, now that's not the same formula, but it's, hold on, said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that made and flocked, striped, spotted, for I have seen all the, I am the God of Bethel. Remember where Bethel was, that's when, he first left home and he was out there by himself and he saw the angels going up and down the ladder. I'm the God of Bethel. Who is that? The angel of God. Which further hints at this title, the angel of the Lord. Then, then go over to um, um, Genesis 48. This is when... Um, uh, Jacob is dying and he's blessing all his, or he's, he's, no, he's crossing his hands over the two grandsons. And this is in uh, Genesis 48, 16. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil bless the boys and in them let my name be carried out. Now, what is, he, what is Jacob asking for? That that angel, that angel of God, the one that met him in 31, the one that went met him in 28, the one that's um, the 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 angel of God and the, 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 the God of Israel, that that God, the angel, the angel would bless these, son, these grandsons of mine. Now, guys, go back. I, I could do this for the rest of the, the night. Um, but you've got to understand, it's way past my bedtime. Um, <laughs> this jet lag thing um, has not yet been conquered. Uh, but you go back to um, Exodus chapter 3, and there's the title, The Angel of the Lord. Clearly, ladies and gentlemen, every time that the angel of the Lord is present, he speaks and he acts as more than simply an angel. He speaks and he acts as if he is to be identified with God himself. Now, gang, there is only one way to explain this little riddle. And that is through the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, let me let me show you one other thing in Genesis. In, I've got to hurry. Um, Genesis eighteen. You know this story when. Um, the, the, well, let me read you verse one, and you'll, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent. The next day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Remember, that's when they caught Sarah laughing when they told Abraham that he was going to have a baby. And Abraham was in the tent and she snickered. And the angel, these these three men said, uh, why is she laughing? But gang, notice three men, verse two, verse three, and Abraham said, oh Lord, but you'll notice it's only capitalized. It's not all caps. That's the Hebrew term Adonai. But then you go down to verse nine. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And she said, she's in the tent. The Lord, all caps, Yahweh, Jehovah. 
Now, gang, here's, here, the only point I'm making is this. Is Genesis 18 teaching the doctrine of the Trinity? I can't say that. But I can say this much. That what you find going on in Genesis 18 is consistent with the doctrine of the Trinity. This idea that the angel of the Lord would show up and then talk like God. And then the angel of the Lord would show up with uh, Abraham over Isaac and, and he'd call the angel of the Lord and then he would call him Yahweh. And there's only one way to solve that. And it's through the doctrine of the Trinity. Gang, I've, I've spent all of your evening to simply tell you this. That name, the angel of the Lord. Hey, by the way, you've, you've heard of this word, theophany. Um, that's a, that's a, oh. Um, a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of God. That's the, it comes from, uh, um, it, there's theos, there's the combination. Um, that's, you've heard of a theophany. Well, in the Bible, when you find this language of the angel of the Lord, what you're getting is a Christophany. Christophany. It's a Christophany. That is, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So, as Exodus 3 unfolds, and it starts off with the angel of the Lord, and before these six verses are over, we're talking about Yahweh, and then we get to verse 14, and we're going to have to discuss that. What you're being introduced to, ladies and gentlemen, in, Gen in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, well, actually, you're not being introduced to it because it's elsewhere before Exodus 3, 2, but what you find in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 is the Trinity. People say, well, the word Trinity is never found in the Bible, and that's true. It's not found in the Bible. But the concept of the Trinity is found everywhere in the Bible. And I just showed it to you. I just showed it to you three or four times. Where we start off talking about this angel of the Lord and then the three men and they become what? Man, mm, mm. There's only one way to unravel that and that is to be found in the doctrine of the Trinity. So, gang, this I hope will help you. Every time you're studying your Bible, and you come to this formula, the angel of the Lord. That's deity. It's not like Gabriel and uh, you know in Luke two that comes to Mary, um, Michael and Daniel seven. No, those are angels with little A's. The angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's, a, it's a demonstration of his pre-existence. That is, he really wasn't born. <laughs> he was begotten because he had, already been, he had already been in existence from all eternity. So we start with the second person of the Trinity. By the time we're done with this paragraph, we're going to be up to our earlobes 
with the first person of the Trinity. Because they're both deity. They're equal in power and glory and dignity and honor. They're two members of the Trinity. Now, I'll say one other thing, I'm done. It is so compelling to me Then when, you know, there's been 40 years of silence. Moses killed that guy in Egypt, you know, and he's been over there walking on the backside of a mountain tending somebody's sheep for 40 years. Silence. And now it's time to go get my people, says God. Now it's time to bring them out of that cruel bondage of, of Egypt. And I'm going to raise up a deliverer. And when it gets time to raise up that deliverer, the God that shows up is the Trinitarian God. Because ladies and gentlemen, everything that God does, he does it as a Trinity. It is the Trinity that creates. It is the Trinity that redeems. And the God to whom Moses is being introduced at this early stage of the story and history of redemption is the Trinitarian God. And one of its members is often called in the New Testament the angel of the Lord. Let's quit there. Our Father, would you... um, Would you use this information not simply to make us prouder of how smart we are, but to make us greater students of your word, to make us greater enjoyers of your word. Knowing this little thing might it help us as we grapple through the scriptures and find the wonder of a Trinitarian God bringing about this great scheme of redemption that has gathered us up and swept us inside this family of God. So, Father, we come to worship Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It is our joy and delight to do so, and we do so because you have given us eyes to see and a heart to embrace. We make our prayer tonight, of course, in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Thanks, God.